We learned about two attitudes of God's children that we, we named audacious. Audacious attitudes of the children of God in the very beginning of Romans chapter 5. And those two audacious attitudes, the first one was that we would have joy, that we would rejoice or exult in the hope of the glory of God. Why is that audacious? Because human beings don't glory or don't rejoice in anyone's glory except our own. By nature, that's just how we're built, right? We'd like to think that we're about other people's glory, but even most of the time in the personal relationships that we, that we get involved in, most of the time it's for our own good. It's for our own glory. But when we go from slave to sin to redeemed children of God, when we come into God's presence through Christ and we're adopted into his family, everything changes. We're born again. And, and our frame of mind changes. No longer are we about our glory, but we see our glory as empty, as vain. And we focus our joy in life on giving God glory. We want him to be glorified in the world. We want him to be glorified in and through our lives. We see him not as some capricious creator, God who is just walking around with a hammer waiting to pounce us on the head, but we see him as our loving father. We, we understand what he's done for us through Christ and it evokes love and gratitude and joy from us. The second attitude that was audacious was the attitude of rejoicing in tribulations. Uh, not just rejoicing in spite of tribulations, but rejoicing because we're going through tribulations. Because that means... That God is working in and through our lives. And he, like a father, like a mother does today with their children, he disciplines us. He allows us to go through pain. He even appoints suffering in the lives of his children so that we live on to eternity. So if God, if God wants us to be in his presence forever and to enjoy eternal life, he will allow us and even appoint suffering this side of heaven so that we're disciplined to cross the finish line. Paul even says later on, I'm like an Olympic athlete, he says. I run in such a way to receive the prize. And he points to Olympians today, he says during his time, they would run these races to receive a perishable wreath, a wreath that you put on your head, but over time, it's like that wedding bouquet. Right, ladies? It doesn't last. For long. We, we tried to make ours last a long time. Emily made potpourri out of it and it was around our house in different areas for years and years and years. But now we've been married for 21 years and I'm not sure how much of that wedding bouquet's left. That's the perishable crown that we, we run for today in life. We run the rat race to have stuff that decays and rusts and thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, don't, don't run for that stuff. Run for the things that, that last and so we're willing to, to go through temporary correction and pain and suffering and the loss of stuff for the glory that is set before us. 
Today we look at this idea of disappointment. How many of you have been disappointed in life? You've been disappointed in your life. You've had disappointments. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Disappointments. They can pile up. Sometimes we get disappointed in family members. Maybe it's your spouse, your children, or your parents. Parents can become disappointed in their children. We're disappointed with government. I know that's hard to believe. You can become disappointed in your government. You can be disappointed in your job, in your career. You can become disappointed in your schooling, in your education. There are many things that we can become disappointed in and that we have been disappointed in in our Christian lives. But the Bible says here in Romans chapter 5, That the Christian walk, the Christian life, the Christian hope is not one of those things. It does not disappoint. And as we follow along with the way that the Apostle Paul has been writing the book of Romans, we come to verse 5. We're going to read verses 5 through 11. He talks about how Tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance bring about, brings about proven character. Proven character brings about hope. This is a process in the Christian life. And then he says in verse 5, and hope does not, what? Disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Or while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us or toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm debating. Well, I was, I was debating whether or not to tell you this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you this this morning before I continue. I usually write my sermon notes, two pages, one and two, as I open up my, one of my black journals that looks just like this book where I open them up and I can have my notes there and I usually place it on my, on my podium, right? And as I was grabbing my stuff in a hurry this morning, all I, all I was thinking about was Bible and black book and I grabbed the black book that was on my Bible. But this is, this is the Valley of Vision. This is a collection of Puritan prayers. And I had this set aside because there's a Puritan prayer in here that I wanted to read for you, part of it for you, because it went with this morning's sermon, so it was on my desk as well. So I grabbed this, 
and my Bible. I did not grab my sermon notes. So here goes. It's like a homiletics test in seminary, right? Preaching without notes. I want to walk through these verses and then I want to give you four reasons why or four things that we underestimate. Four, four things that we underestimate that would cause us to be disappointed in the Christian life. Because the Bible is very clear, the Christian life does not disappoint. That is our goal, that is our hope in Jesus Christ does not disappoint. Doesn't mean that Christians will not experience disappointment in life. You will even experience disappointment in your relationship with other Christians. You probably have been disappointed before in your church family. I'm sure you've been disappointed in me as your pastor. I know that I have been disappointed in the ministry many times. Churches become disappointed in different things that happen in a church's life, but, but the gospel does not disappoint. Jesus does not disappoint. The hope that we're looking forward to does not disappoint ever. And we're going to learn why today. Now, we've heard stories over the last couple of years, particularly the last couple of years, of Christian leaders, local pastors, famous authors, famous apologists, famous speakers, whoever, who have, quote-unquote, walked away from Christianity. You have many family members, as do I. Maybe not many, but you probably have a few, young and old, who have walked away from Christianity. I believe the Bible teaches us this morning in Romans 5 that that's not possible. You cannot walk away from the hope that God gives you through Christ because salvation is not dependent upon your work or your ability. It's something that God does. Follow along with me as we notice. Verse 5, he says, hope does not disappoint. He doesn't say people don't disappoint. He doesn't say experiences in the Christian life don't disappoint. He says hope, what we're looking toward, that is the resurrection, that is eternal life, that is what we have through Jesus Christ, does not disappoint. Notice why. He says because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. Number one, who's doing the pouring out? God. God. And it's not some half measure. He doesn't say God's giving you a measure of the Holy Spirit for a season that will last you for a while. He doesn't say that, does he? He says the love of God has been poured out. This reminds me of the picture of the woman who wastes all of that expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. There's a song that actually reflects that story called Broken and Spilled Out. And it also reflects Jesus and the way he sacrificed himself and went to the cross for us in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul says he emptied himself. He was poured out. Paul even uses the same language when he talks to the uh, 
to Timothy when talking about the church and the way that he's given himself for the church. He says it again in Philippians. Even if at this moment while I'm in prison, even if I'm being poured out as a sacrificial offering, that's okay. I'm good with that. Why? Because he thinks of what God has done for him. Jesus blood poured out for us. It's what God has done. He says the love of God likewise has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who was what? Given as a gift. See, many times we, we think we, we can become dis, disillusioned a little bit through trials and tribulations and there's a temptation to become disappointed but we can't become disappointed because this is all God's work. The Holy Spirit's given to us. And so as we go through tribulations and it brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, that hope does not disappoint. Now there are some that that dabble in spirituality. They dabble in religion and they've dabbled in Christianity. They even serve on staffs at churches. They even preach publicly like this for a time in their life. But they come against tribulation in life. Maybe it's something in their mind. Maybe they're having a problem with some type of scripture that's just really, they just can't wrap their minds, they, they, can't, they can't justify what the word says and things that are going on in their mind. Like, how can God be all loving and all good? How can he also be just? How can he be loving and allow evil to exists in the world and people can't, they, and, they, and they struggle with that. And then finally they say, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm walking away from the faith. Well, they didn't persevere. They didn't get past the tribulation. They didn't get past the tribulation that brings about perseverance, that brings about proven character, that gets to the hope. So it's not as though they had hope and then they gave it up. No, they went through trials and they didn't pass. They didn't persevere. They gave up the gospel. They gave up God. But Paul says this will not happen in the life of a child of God. Why? Because of something that very real happens in your life that will not disappoint. And that is the Holy Spirit poured out for you the moment you believed. You don't have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ did on the cross. Verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, we do become disillusioned sometimes. We're challenged in our faith. But most of the time, when our faith is threatened with this idea of disappointment, of being disappointed, it's simply because we have forgotten what God has done. We have lost a sense of gravity, the gravity of our situation. And so notice what he, what he says. He describes several things. The first thing I want to look at is he, he describes something that we underestimate the gravity of, and that is our own corruption. Our own corruption. We underestimate our own corruption. And so he calls us to remember that notice the words that he says here he uses verse 6 while we were what helpless Christ died for the who ungodly 
He says in verse 8, while we were yet who? Sinners. Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, that's a very good description of our corruption. Helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. Don't forget that before you were ushered into the Father's presence through the blood of the Son, that's who you and I were. Don't lose a sense of gravity, the gravity of that truth, of your own corruption and my corruption. The second thing that we underestimate that he wants to draw our attention to is the great condescension of God. When we think of that word condescending now, it's usually in a term that we don't like to use very much. When someone speaks to you in a condescending manner, it doesn't make you feel very good, does it? Because they assume some higher level. We also call that what? Talking down. We don't like it when people talk down to us. It's condescending. Sometimes we forget that the transaction that takes place in our salvation is one that is one way only, and it comes down from God to man. That's the incarnation, when God puts on flesh and comes and is born in a manger. Jesus put on flesh the Logos, the Word of God, born in a manger in Bethlehem. Not even a proper, not even a proper place to be born. Talk about condescension. Again, I mentioned Philippians 2, the canonic passage, where Paul says, have the same mind in yourself toward each other as brothers and sisters as Jesus had toward you when he came to earth from heaven. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be seized, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a bondservant, being found in appearance as a man. He went to the cross. He emptied himself. He condescended. He came to us. Notice the temporal language that's used here. He says, verse 6, for while we were still helpless, while we were Lo, while we were helpless, we were not increasing in righteousness. We were not working our way up. No, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates and he gives a scenario. He, he says, let's, let's think about our own interpersonal relationships. How many of you would lay your life down for somebody? Now, there may be people in your life that you'd like to think, I would. I would lay down my life for my spouse, for my kids, maybe for a best friend. Paul says, I want you to think about this. How many of you would die for someone you love? 
Some of you might, might dare to even die for someone. He says, verse 7, one will hardly die for a righteous man. See, that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about a familial relationship. It doesn't matter if my kids or my spouse or maybe a close family member, it doesn't matter if they're righteous or not. I'm still going to lay my life down for them. So he's not talking about loved ones. He's talking about just righteous people. Okay, so think of someone outside of your familial sphere who's a good person, according to the rest of the people in the world. Would you lay down your life for them? Paul says you probably wouldn't. Perhaps some of you would. He says, but listen to this. No one has condescended like God has. Because he says in verse 8, but God demonstrate his, demonstrates his own love for us in that while at the same time that we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I, I want to parse that out a little bit because today when we talk about sinners, we really soften things. We really water down what that means. If you were to talk to the average person today and even church person, even Christian, and say, are you a sinner? Some would say yes. Others might get a little offended and say, well, I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect. That's not the question, is it? We like to soften the blow a little bit. Say, well, I'm not perfect. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet imperfect, Christ died for us. No, remember these other words, helpless, dead, enemies, ungodly we were not friends of God whom he looked upon and said all you need is just that cherry on top of Jesus and you'll be good to go you've done a lot that's really good you just need Christ it's like that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus during Jesus ministry and he says I've got all these things but I don't have eternal life Jesus says keep the law rich man says I've done that too he says okay take your stuff sell it all give all the money to the poor and then come follow me and then you can become my disciple rich young ruler of the bible says goes away grieved because he owned a lot of stuff God doesn't offer the gospel to people who think they just need a little bit of Jesus to put them over the top God saves sinners God saves the ungodly God saves enemies and makes them sons and daughters. We underestimate the great, the great condescension of God and what he has done through Christ. The other thing that we tend to underestimate is the cost. We talked about the corruption, our own corruption, the condescension of God, and then the cost from Christ. He mentions the blood Christ died for the ungodly. He says in verse 9, much more. He's saying, look, if, if, God, if God has already done this and brought you into his kingdom, if, you're, if you've already had your introduction, as we rewind to, to verses 1 and 2 and 3, you've already had your introduction through Jesus, it's through Christ, and now you're in the family of God, you have that access to the Father. You rejoice in the glory of God now, and you also rejoicing your suffering, and you also, uh, through your suffering, 
are made more perfect, are made more like Jesus. If this has already happened, don't forget all of what God has done. And if these things are the case, he says in verse 9, much more than having now been justified by Christ's blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now he's looking forward. And he's saying this is why the hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't disappoint. When we look forward, we will not be disappointed if we simply remember what's in the rear view, what God has done. We remember how corrupt we were. We remember the condescension of God. And if we remember the cross, see, when people, when people seem to be disappointed in the Christian faith, it's not because of God. It's not because of the work of Christ. It's simply because we've taken our eyes off of the cross. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And we're looking to something else. We're looking to the, to the best church in town. We're looking to the best preacher. We're looking for the best apologist. We're looking for all these other things. And we've just taken our eyes off of Jesus. And if you take your eyes off of Jesus, folks, you will be disappointed. But I don't believe God's children take their eyes off of Jesus for long. Because the Holy Spirit who's been poured out for us lives within us and calls us back repeatedly to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how are we responding when he calls us back to the cross? Will you fixate on the things that don't matter? Will you fixate on the things that will disappoint you every single time? Or will you focus on the cross? The cross of Christ will not disappoint. Verse 10, he says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. How much more... Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We've received reconciliation. And then this is the area where Paul introduces as we move on in the next few weeks, this idea of the more. I love this chapter of Romans. It tells us all the things we have through Christ. Everything's through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. And then he shift gears, shifts gears in verse 9 through 11 as he goes to the rest of this chapter through verse 21. And he talks about the more. And he compares. He compares all these different things. These are the things that we underestimate the gravity of our corruption. God's condescension, the cost. And then finally, the condition. The conditions. What are the conditions to this covenant? What are the conditions to this relationship that we have with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ? Notice. This is a one-way covenant. This is a one-way operation. While we were helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, 
God redeems us through Jesus Christ. We, we become disappointed in other human beings who we have interpersonal relationships with. Close, people that are close to us. Family, friends, again, governing authorities. Teachers, educators, people in ministry. We become disappointed. You know why? Ultimately, it's because we fail at keeping our end of the bargain. We're bad at keeping our word. We say to our spouses that we will love and cherish them, that we will honor them, that we will respect them. We go to Ephesians chapter 5 and discover all those things that God says, beautiful things about husbands and wives relating to each other. But you know what? We fail each other because we're human. We make promises to educate people. We make promises to govern But we fail. Why? Because we're human. We don't keep our end of the bargain all the time. We fail in those areas. But you know why the hope, the hope of the gospel doesn't disappoint? Because of the one who makes the deal. God through his son Jesus. And it's so hard to believe in the grace of God in this way because we have no other interpersonal relationships that look like that. And so we find it difficult to believe in a God who would save an enemy who does that. A God who would call an unrighteous and filthy person like me into his presence, that he would let me in. Who, who does that? I've done nothing for him. I've done nothing for him. I believe this is why God calls Paul to be the one to take the gospel to the Gentiles because Paul says himself, I was the chief of sinners. He says, I persecuted the church. I hunted down Christians for the purpose of killing them. Why would God choose me for this ministry? What better vessel for God to use to communicate to people like you and me that the hope that he offers is sure and steadfast. The conditions of this relationship, of this covenant that we have, ensures that the promise is stable, is sure. And so as we as Christians go through tribulations, we rejoice. Because those tribulations bring about Perseverance, that perseverance brings about proven character. That proven character brings about hope. And that hope does not disappoint. Because it is based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ and a God who loves us and who is perfect and who never fails, ever. If... You have any disappointment, if you have any doubt as a Christian, let it be a healthy one. And that is the disappointment in yourself, the doubts of yourself. That is a healthy thing. It's okay. And I know in today's world, that is so countercultural. You hear things all the time 
If you're watching a movie or you see a billboard or an ad, they are replete with the same message. Stay true to yourself. Don't let the haters speak negativity into your life. Believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. You do you. Don't ever doubt yourself. Doubt everything else. And I think that's why, in some ways, I think that's why there are so many Christians, people who have said they were Christians, who have fallen away from the faith. Because they're staying true to themselves and the flesh, and they're not giving that up to God. Listen to what this old Puritan says. As we begin to close, and in just a moment, Mike will come and close us in prayer and read our benediction. But I just want to read, it's called The Paradoxes. The old Puritan pastor wrote about the changeless God and the changing man. He says, under the conviction of thy spirit, I learned that the more I do, the worse I am. The more I know, the less I know. The more holiness I have, the more sinful I am. The more I love, the more there is to love. (laughs) Oh, wretched man that I am. My mind is a bucket without a bottom with no spiritual understanding, no desire for the Lord's day, ever learning but never reaching the truth. Always at the gospel well but never holding water. My conscience is without conviction or contrition with nothing to repent of. My will is without power of decision or resolution. My heart is without affection and full of leaks. My memory has no retention. So I forget easily the lessons learned. And thy truths seep away. And then he asked the Lord this. Give me a broken heart that yet carries home the water of grace. It's okay, it's good for us to be broken over ourselves and our sin and to be disappointed in ourselves. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God saves us based upon his grace and his work on our behalf through Christ on the cross so that your hope and my hope will never disappoint And I want to encourage you as you look forward to that hope in Christ, don't forget to look behind. Don't forget to see your corruption, his condescension, the cost that Christ paid on the cross and the conditions of the covenant that you're in through Christ. Unconditional, one way, through Christ alone. And if you're here today, if you're watching online, that relationship with God can be yours through faith in Christ alone. It's only through Christ alone. He alone can give us the hope that God.